1: Irreverent, over the top and smart as a whip. This is
0: the Rob Black show.
1: I gave up my professional credentials in large part um to do focus completely on financial media. Um you can think of me as a younger Jim Cramer who is more moderate. You can think of me as an intelligent Susie Orman. Whichever one works for you. Um, I think in a game of financial jeopardy, I would crush, crush Dave Ramsey. I would crush Suze Orman. No, I don't think I would bet my entire wealth on it. So if anyone wants to put a charity event together, uh, that's where I stand on that. Why do I bring it up quite like that? Well, I think it's important that you, um, try not to be right. You try not to find someone to tell you what to do. You kind of learn to fish along the way. You learn dumb little things like a lot of wealth is created during down markets. So next time you see a down market, you're like, I remember hearing that somewhere. Should I sell? And a lot of wealth is made during a down market. It's in the back of your head. And you're like, no, I think I should buy. But again, that's going to be up to you. Let's talk a little bit about money and how much you need. This is what CFP Chad Burton does. He manages wealth. I help create wealth. I hope that makes some sense to you. How much do you really need in your nest egg at certain points of your career or your life is pretty interesting because that's probably the, the number one most important question that I get and the number one right question I get from people. So in your 20s, you're coming out of college or high school. You're trying to break away from mom and dad. You're trying to start your career and make real money. You're spending changes after living with your parents or in a college dorm. You can now afford a place of your own. You might want to splurge with an amazing rooftop deck. You might have some disposable income for the first time in your life after making your payments on your student loans. You may want to take a weekend trip each month with friends. I get it. We're all a little bit different. But when I had to sign that first apartment lease or book a hotel for a getaway, it dawned on me like, I need a budget. I think your 20s is really about setting up your goals, making some financial mistakes, learning how to use money and think about money. I think it's really important that you start hitting milestones at age 30, 40, 50, and 60. And it's definitely by 60 when you're no longer bringing in a paycheck. So I look at it as your investment lifetime is 40 years. Most people don't start saving their income when they're 15 years old. If you're scooping ice cream or waiting tables at a Bob's Big Boy, you're probably spending that money completely on the weekend at movies or on clothes or video games. I get it. That's fine. There's no one recipe for success here. Each plan is unique. Each lifestyle is different. Each plan should be designed by the individual, maybe with a financial plan or maybe not. By age 30, you should have saved an amount of money equal to your annual salary for retirement. As both Fidel and Ally Bank recommend, if your salary is $75,000, you should have saved $75,000 by age 30. The best way to save in your 20s, after you find an apartment, after you find a girlfriend that you're living with, after you figure out your monthly trips with your friends are no longer fun, that staying home with your girlfriend on a weekend is is much more exciting. But what what you should be doing is at your first job, oh, you have a 401k? I heard 401ks are a great way to save for retirement or 403bs. Yep. So if you're able to save 10, 15 percent of your salary, you're able to get that money close to your salary in, by the time you turn 30. This is not. This is not a hardcore roadmap. Many Americans don't sign up for 401k in their 20s, meaning they're not taking advantage of a potential employer match. My employer match is 4%. So if they pay me $100,000 a year, they actually give me $104,000 a year. An employer match on your 401k is free money. It's roughly a quarter of employees are leaving free money on the table. So when I give speeches to Visa or I give speeches, speeches to Genentech, the younger people in the, the audience, I'm like, okay, you got to take advantage of that much. You got to, you got to put in, you know, enough. If it's 5% to match their 4%, do it. It's free money. And then on top of it, I get into a little bit more details, so get a little more granular. Many young people have debt because those first couple of years after college, they're like, I think I do want a rooftop apartment. I think I do want to go to Miami in the next month to Uh, Martha's Vineyard. The next month after that, to Seattle. And you suddenly are putting stuff on credit cards that you shouldn't. So it's admirable to be debt-free, but it's also not terribly realistic to think everyone in their 20s are going to be debt-free. So in your 20s, uh, you get the 401k going. In your 30s, you make sure that you're taking advantage of that 401k, maxing it out, paying down debt, Many young people we work with in this industry hate being in debt and strive to pay it off as quickly as possible. I'm okay. I've never prepaid a mortgage payment. I completely expect to have mortgage debt when I die. Now I will leave enough money that others who inherit it can pay that off if they don't want to pay off 2.5% mortgage. I'm like, I'll tell my sons, if there's a mortgage for 2.5%, try not to pay it off. I know, I know, I know. That'll be my rosebud moment. I consider any debt below 7% to be good debt and to save up until that point. In your 40s, you should have three times your salary. Three times your annual salary, put away for retirement at age 40. Now, again, I don't know what you make, but for the sake of me not pulling out an abacus or a calculator, let's say you make a 100000 a year, you should have at least $300,000. If you have more, good. In the end, when you turn 60, you're going to want somewhere between 10 to 20 times your salary. Isn't that crazy? Now let's keep talking about these age periods. Every household, regardless of their net worth or stage of life, owes it to themselves to create a comprehensive, thorough, individualized financial plan. I don't care if you do it on a yellow binder, a yellow you know paper, uh, whatever works for you. you want legal paper, you want science paper, whatever it is. You should keep some documents on I want to retire with ten to twenty times my salary. At age 40, I want to have three times my salary, if not more. Then in your 30s, you're probably thinking about a home. You're thinking about babies, right? So life gets a little bit more complicated. So when you turn 40, your babies are a little bit older. Your home is a little bit more established. That's when you're going to have that midlife crisis. I had one myself on some level. um, And it wasn't smart. So it wasn't a Lamborghini for me. It wasn't close, but I did make some mistakes in my 40s on Temptation. The most common mistake that people make in their 40s is they let their spending increase because now they're making more money and they've got a lot of money saved and they go, let's look around. I want to go to Monaco. There's the F1 rally car race. I've seen it on Netflix. It looks kind of awesome. I'm going to get an expensive hotel and go. Um, don't buy enough more than you can chew. Save within your budget. Your budget should always have saving for retirement first, paying your mortgage second. Then maybe down at five or six on your list should be go to Monaco and the Kentucky Derby. But if you receive a $5,000 annual raise, that doesn't send you to Monaco. It doesn't send you to the Kentucky Derby. It says, I'm going to save 15% of that. And yeah, I do want you to have a piece of chocolate on occasion, but the way I do it, and this is what I try to teach my kids, um, one Hershey Kiss is just as good as 10. 10 will make you fat and give you diabetes. One will be like, oh, that's a nice way to get a bed. I know you're saying you have some cavities down to you. Probably. If you invest that $5,000 raise that you get in your 40s into an investment account that grows at 10%, you'll have $822,000 over 30 years. Now, you can also spend that money pretty easily because it's it's a bigger chunk of money than you are used to. When you turn 50, you should have five times your salary saved. I'm a little bit more aggressive, and I'll say six to eight because I saw a brother of mine lose his job in his 50s, kind of due to age discrimination. He becomes the most expensive employee at a firm because his healthcare is the most expensive because he's 50 working at a firm with 20-year-olds, get rid of the old guy. Plus, when you're in your 50s, you have a, an assumption on salary needs other than a young person. But also, when you're 50, you should you know probably stop diverting money into college tuition for your children and start catching up on your 401k contributions. That's pretty awesome. The IRS gives you an extra $7,000 plus. It increases every couple of years. In your 50s, you should start cutting down costs. I live in a 3,000-square-foot home that by the time I turn 65 and retire, I want to be in a 1,500-square-foot home. By the time you turn 60 and you're thinking of retirement, you should have 7 to 10 times your income. You should start cutting down on risk. I want you to really get to 10 to 20 times your income just in case there's a year where you see inflation spike 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10%. You're not going back to work after you're 60. I'm Rob Black, giving you the numbers.
2: A straightforward approach to managing your money. The Rob Black Show.
1: Helping us make sense out of what's happening on Wall Street. It's My favorite segment of the week, Patrick O'Hare with briefing.com. Patrick, I missed you last week, so we have a lot to catch up on. I'm seeing today that oil has dropped below eighty five dollars a barrel, and yet, is it good news or is it bad news? And is bad news in the job market good news? Or is good news in the job market bad news? There's a lot to figure out. What do we need to know? What are you seeing today? What, what's going on out there?
2: Yeah, good good morning, Rob. It's good to be morning. back with you. Um, you know, the the market in its you know current form is really consumed as kind of like the macro picture. Right. And so while the downturn in, in energy prices is ultimately, uh, you know, something that would be constructive for consumers of energy, uh, it's still being looked more as a reflection of uh, concerns about, about economic growth slowing. Uh, and of course, you can then extrapolate from that that if you get a slowdown from economic growth, you, know, you could potentially get more job losses, which are not good for the consumer. So it's just uh you know the market's just kind of like caught in its own um, um, you know um, sense of negativity at the moment, so it's not translating to positive things for the equity market necessarily that oil prices are coming down here but eventually it it should and it will because uh it will help you know relieve inflation pressures uh and it will also uh you know help mitigate some of the effects of the rising cost of energy that have been really hitting consumers uh, for many months now.
1: Now, let's talk a little bit more about bad news is good news, good news is bad news, and the Federal Reserve. I've heard that the Fed, from talking with people like yourself, but I think you're the smartest the smartest, that the Fed wants the stock market, and the cryptocurrency market to go down to kind of eliminate a little bit of the speculation or the froth. Do you think that's possible that they have a, like a cabal amongst themselves that are targeting certain sectors of our economy?
2: Um, you know, I don't think they look at it uh, that on such a granular basis. I, I, I do think uh. that, you know, they, they they don't want easier financial conditions and that, you know. Can mean a range of things, either higher stock prices, lower interest rates, you know, uh, ease of getting credit. Um, you know, they, they're they're trying to stamp out inflation, and and to do that, you need tighter financial conditions. And uh, unfortunately, you know, the consequence of that will likely be, you know, uh, falling equity prices, uh, less demand for you know homes uh, and, and, and things of that nature. And so they want, and, and you know, I should add, you know, probably more job losses too. I mean, you know, the Fed is aiming to, uh, try to, you know, stifle some of this demand to help, uh, for not only for goods and services, but for labor as well to help bring down the inflation rate. And they're seemingly intent on really, uh, driving home that point now. Uh, and that's the kind of like the, inflation-fighting force that the equity market's going to have to reckon with for, for a while here.
1: I bring up again and again and again the Federal Reserve because the market seems to be kind of spooked by the Federal Reserve right now and maybe a 75 basis point hike in September. From what I've seen in the last 20 plus years is that it takes about nine months for interest rate hikes to really slow an economy. Takes about nine months for it to really grease the economy, but Wall Street's a discounting mechanism of six months in the future. Do, do you kind of agree with where I'm going at with this? Like, should they slow down? Should they wait to see what happens? Is fighting inflation more important? Do you think we get 75 basis points in September? Because I, I think that seems to be the next flag that we got to pass through on the stock market ride,
2: right? Yeah. Uh, I do think that we'll see 75 basis points in September. Of course, yeah, we're going to get the Consumer Price Index out uh, next week. Um, but, you know, even if there's a moderation to, say, 8% year-over-year inflation versus 8.5%, you still have a, a big inflation problem on your hands. And and I think, you know, what, what really uh, kind of uh, availed itself at that Jackson Hole Summit really is uh, the terse manner in which the Fed chair delivered his, his speech, his brief speech on the need to get inflation under control. It's just, you know, it really was a wake-up call to the equity market that this is not the Fed that they, they used to know. Uh, and basically what I mean by that is that the, the, the Fed that the market used to know, the stock market, was that it was the, the stock market's friend, you know, it was there with a the Fed put it was going to provide that support to help, you know, uh, stop any, you know, rapid sell-offs. And, uh, and that's not the message now. You know the fed is sounding very uh, focused on getting inflation back down to its two percent target so while you're right to to indicate that the you know the market is is spooked by the fed right now i would i would add that i think it's also saddened by the fed because it recognizes it's lost its best friend and uh and when the fed is not the market's friend it becomes very difficult to achieve this Know, multiple expansion and uh and this and to uh sustain the speculative energy that was so um, uh, consistent with what we saw in that bull market move uh, off the pandemic lows so it's just a different market environment because you know the fed is no longer the stock market's friend
1: i've taken over control of this conversation talking about the fed and interest rates what would you have me ask you or what would you like to talk about
2: well, you know, I think that you know we're seeing some really interesting uh, things going on in the currency markets these days. Um, the dollar has just been uh, a stalwart, uh, largely because uh, other currencies have been, uh, you know, just extremely weak. You know, the yen in particular, the euro, uh, and then we just learned today the British pounds uh, at its lowest level against the dollar since 1985. Um, so, uh, you know, and that's. That's partly a reflection of, you know, uh, not only interest rate differentials, uh, but also uh, concerns about uh, slowing growth and, and the you know, specter of recession hitting the UK economy as well as the eurozone um, sooner and perhaps harder than what we might eventually see here in the United States. I mean, the United States is certainly going to see and has been seeing a slowdown in economic activity, but uh, as we've discussed, you know, many times before. Uh, you know, the risk uh, is that the Fed, you know, over tightens uh, and, and, you know, ushers in a hard landing for the U.S. economy as opposed to the soft landing it's uh, trying to achieve. Uh, but those currency swings, you know, uh, could potentially be problematic in ways we don't know about yet. Uh, they're definitely a, a headwind for the earnings growth prospects for U.S. multinational companies. But uh, they certainly have a uh, uh, pronounced uh, impact on emerging market economies. Uh, and now we're seeing more in terms of other developed economies having to contend with the strong dollar and uh, and then the corresponding weakness in their home currencies that just exacerbates the inflation problems that lead to their central banks needing to raise rates that then lead to slower growth in those economies. And so it's a really tough cycle that we're uh, likely entering here, and it could be a little bit before we can emerge from it.
1: I'm not going to get too personal, but I know that you've recently taken one of your children to tour colleges. Let's go back 18 years. You were a much younger man. Did you ever see colleges costing today, room and board, tuition, what they do versus 18 years ago when you were the father to a young, miraculous little child? <laughs> um, and And talk about inflation maybe a little bit and how bad it is for our economy, or maybe it's good because it's paying college people more money. I don't know
2: yeah it, you know I, I think back to when you know my daughter was was born you know, 18 years ago and and um and i knew then i heard then anyway what college costs were projected to be you know when she was going to be in college yeah. <laughs> and and uh and we're there you know i mean it, it's just been uh obviously you know the cost of higher education has uh, continued to escalate beyond just the typical rate of inflation and um uh, you know and it's uh, uh the, Decoy about it. It's not cheap. So, um, But I guess getting to your to your question, though, about inflation, um, you know, a little bit of inflation is, is good for an economy, right? Um, and that's why you have these kind of like lower targeted rates in the 2% range. Um, but when you get this, you know, kind of runaway inflation we're getting, it's very detrimental, particularly for lower income consumers and those consumers who are on fixed incomes. Uh, it just really, uh, really undermines this the the standard of living because the cost of living becomes that much more uh, challenging. And so it's important that the Fed gets this uh, inflation factor under control and back down toward its uh, 2% target uh, as soon as possible.
1: Thank you for talking about your daughter in college and 18 years ago. I don't ever like to get that personal, but I thought that was a good one to get personal on. Is there anything else that you're working on right now? I guess we have midterm elections we could talk about, or is there anything more interesting to you out there? We got about one minute
2: yeah um no i haven't haven't turned so much to the midterm election issue it's, I think you know what we can uh divide uh, you know sort of think about now is that it's you know going to be i think you know one of those contentious political cycles uh that we're just kind of stuck with um but uh but I think really the f- thing I'm focused on is just what we talked about is just this reality check for the equity market here that the Fed is no longer its friend and it's a matter of when the When the Fed comes back around to being its friend again, the issue is a question of timing. It's going to happen, but it's uncertain as to exactly when, and that's problematic for the equity market.
1: Thanks very much for being with us. It's Patrick O'Hare. You can find him at briefing.com. Clearly one of my favorite interviews for the past 20 years. It's been consistent. It's Patrick O'Hare with briefing.com. Briefing.com is a reliable source of domestic and international news. It is a very thorough website. It is one of the very first things that I go to on a regular basis. Every single morning, I read his page one. Right now, I'm looking at their update on the stock market, which gets updated every 30 minutes as far as a big picture of what's going on today. Buying into a short-term oversold situation, strengthened mega cap stocks, falling treasury yields and oil prices, strengthened utilities, consumer discretionary communication services, information technology, weakness in energy. I think it's a great site. You can find me online at Rob Black's show. You can find briefing at briefing.com. Brought to you by EP Wealth. This is the Rob Black Show. The most popular stocks right now in portfolios by mutual fund managers, indexes, hedge funds are called meh-tana. I know you're saying, what happened to Fang? Fang was Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, and Google. It's not quite right. Um, so what is Maytana? It's going to make you crazy. Is, why do we have to play this silly acronym game? Because media. Maytana is Microsoft, Apple, Tesla. Alphabet, NVIDIA, Amazon. Dropping Meta and Netflix while adding Apple, Tesla, and Nvidia, and you're like, should I own those? They're widely owned. There's something to be said for owning widely owned, but be careful because it has typical overvaluations tied to them because everyone knows about them and everyone wants them for their past performance. One of the very first things I ever learned in this industry was past, per, uh, past performance not indicative future results consult a broker or advisor for taking action on any stocks I've ever mentioned. But I could talk about Apple having a big event and how the stock should or should not do in the coming years based on product. I think the two big drivers for Apple in the midterm will be virtual reality, augmented reality, goggles, and a car. That's midterm. That's three to five years. In the short term, it's how well do their services do and how fast do they catch, uh, how do they do compared with Google on phones? So, but then you also get into the situation on the, the stock market. I'm trying to teach you a little bit about what we do here. Microsoft, Apple, Tesla, Alphabet, NVIDIA, Amazon, all great names in my opinion. Bang um, used to be Facebook, but now they're meta. So they're like, do you see how this is kind of stupid? Meta's being dropped from favorites. And I kind of get it. Um, advertising dollars have shifted. I would much rather give advertising dollars to TikTok or YouTube right now because that's where young people are watching. Everyone who I know who posts on Facebook is old. Um, So I'm not seeing a lot of young eyeballs. I've got a family member who I guess is an aunt or a cousin. I don't really know how family trees work. I would be bad in Westeros, the imaginary world of Game of Thrones, because I probably would marry my cousin. (laughs) I think I don't get family trees well. Don't know why my brain doesn't process it, but it doesn't. Moving on. Do you want to be like everyone else and say, I'm going, you know, Facebook was great 10 years ago. I'm sticking with it. Or do you want to go with a new updated list? I love Microsoft because I've got Microsoft 365. It stores all my photos. It stores all my documents. It does a great job of it. And I can go to your computer, my computer. I can go to my vacation home's computer, jump online and get my emails. I no longer have to buy every year um, the individual you know, office or Outlook. I'm just resigned to, yep, I'm paying a subscription. I like Apple because their dominance in number of units sold and services. Tesla, when you see the state of California say that 25%, 50%, 100% of all cars by the year 2035 is scaling number into that, after be electric vehicles, I see them as having an edge, except for they don't really have a cheap version of, of a Tesla. On top of that, I don't think those numbers are realistic because I know that lithium is a lot tougher to get to than we than we want. We want the batteries to magically appear to us. But a mining CEO that I was recently listening to goes, eventually we'll have enough, but not by 2035. Um, the Inflation Reduction Act is putting pressure on companies like PLL, Piedmont Lithium, But I don't think it's speculative when you're seeing mandates by the US government to sell electric vehicles in states and federal levels to look at a lithium miner, because electric vehicles need lithium. It's like computers need silicon. At one point in time, a company that made semiconductors that weren't made of silicon made them with gallium arsenide. And gallium arsenide were able to handle the electrons moving back and forth faster, which was better for communication stocks than than computers. If you think that there is a tech timeline where computers were important, where cell phones became important, where electric vehicles became important, lithium is the player right now. Should you buy it? I can make a very strong argument for you should at least look into it. Can I determine what's right or wrong for you? There is no alternative to lithium for electric vehicles. I need to back off because I'm giving you too much insight. A couple other things I want to let you know about. The Federal Reserve, and this is just for future reference in case I die. When they raise interest points, 25 basis points, that's considered a smaller one. But it takes about nine months to bleed into the system of credit cards. It takes nine months to bleed into the system, how it affects how much you're saving or investing, how much you're not having or or when they raise interest rates or lose lower interest rates, it takes nine months. But the market looks six months in the future. So you kind of have to deal with the Federal Reserve has raised twice at 75 basis points. They haven't even really been completely pushed in the market. But Wall Street's absorbed at least six months of it because Wall Street is a discounting mechanism. Um, It's a weird teeter-totter. And again, these are my interpretations of what I've seen from history. Of doing this it's my interpretations of people like warren buffett what he's seen doing it longer than me and i hope you get some sort of interpretation that works for yourself my goal is to help you get to retirement chad's goal is to help you manage your wealth in retirement you can find chad at chadburton.com that's chadburton.com you can find his podcast on spotify on google and apple phones I'm Rob Black. Find us at robblackshow.com. robblackshow.com. Ethereum is going to have a big moment. It's coming. The network is heading not for a risky major upgrade. It is heading for a risky upgrade that a lot of people feel is safer or less risk than perceived. But we on the financial type see it as risky. You who love Ethereum and Bitcoin see it as this is going to solve all problems. Will it propel crypto to the next level? Will it revive an alien market? Bitcoin's under 19,000 today. It has a strong correlation with risk assets, like stocks of growth that are overvalued on the NASDAQ. Bitcoin is crypto's answer to gold. Ethereum is the closest thing it has to its own internet. So as Bitcoin is to gold, When there's inflation, Bitcoin should work. You know what's interesting? It didn't. And yet Ethereum is the closest thing to the internet. Anyone who wants to make a new token, I think it's called minting a token, launching a crypto app or spend $150,000 on a board 8 non-fungible token NFT probably uses the Ethereum network. (laughs) Yes, yes, I got that one right. Over $3 billion in transaction, volume flows through Ethereum daily. So it's real. It's legit. A lot of people ask me, what do I think about Bitcoin? And I don't think it's investable for people who don't need risk. I think if if you're, how shall we say, um, allergic to risk, risky stocks get you into a lot of trouble, then probably not a good idea to go after digital currencies. Um, but i think it, digital currencies will be around i think we don't need you know my uncle joe to come up with joe's digital currency we don't need the kardashians to come up with kardashiancashcoin.com we don't need that that's the stuff that's junk that's the stuff that's ruin it for ethereum and bitcoin now with that said that's all i'm going to say on it cuz i really don't want to turn it into a negative or strong piece because it's not something I want you to play with. Unless you like the aggressive risk of it, then I want you to own 1% to 5%. The market's bracing for a three-quarter point hike from the Fed this month. We need to get that move out of the way before we can get any more direction. Interest rate hikes tend to move, tend to be into real play. They're into the market. They're into the blood of the stock market. Nine months after being introduced, So seeing that Wall Street, I think, is a six-month discounter and the interest rate cuts started to happen about three months ago, you could kind of say that some of them, the first 75 basis point hike has probably bled itself into the market already. But now we're looking for a third 75 point hike from the Fed. Right now, our economy is holding up. You know how I can tell you it's holding up? This is going to be a very odd draw. United Airlines is raising revenue outlook due to strong demand. We're still flying. We're still traveling. I just got back from a weekend of visiting family, and I spent more money than I've ever spent on a trip back to see my family. That's good for the economy. Apple today is set to unveil its new iPhones and Apple Watches. One company that I wanted to watch out of the gate, but I've totally forgotten to watch out of the gate, is Google. Or Alphabet. Um, Google changed its name to Alphabet because they started having too many divisions. Like YouTube stands for the letter Y. Google stands for the letter G. Alphabet is a holding company of various companies. Google's up today. What's interesting to note about that is their CEO said, we're going to ask our employees to do more with less and there's probably going to be some job cuts coming. Now, you go, is that good or bad? And I go, that's very good. Wall Street likes job cuts. Google and Alphabet CEO Sundar Pichai said he wants to make the company 20% more efficient, and that could include headcount cuts as it reckons with a slew of economic challenges as well as years of rapid hiring. I totally agree with this as a positive for the stock. A lot of people thought a company like Google was hiring two people when they only needed one during the pandemic to make sure that the job got done. Kara Swisher interviewed the CEO yesterday on how he planned to make the company more efficient, citing his Simplicity Sprint, which is an internal project launched to refocus the company to get better results faster. And um, they've had two quarters in a row of weaker-than-expected earnings and revenue. I really like Google as a long-term investment. Again, that's my opinion. It's not necessarily my employer's opinion, and it's not necessarily appropriate for you. The British pound has fallen to its lowest level against the dollar since 1985. Ain't that something? That's going back to Ron Reagan and Margaret Thatcher. That's pretty impressive. I'm not going to say it's impressive, but it shows you how the United States is perceived by the world as not being financially responsible of printing money when we need to. 800-516-1220 if you ever want to get your calls on the air. We don't get a lot of calls anymore because the show is probably about 85% dominant with podcasts. You can find the podcast on Apple and Google on your phone under podcasts. You can go to iTunes and search for it. You can go to Spotify and grab it. It's called The Roblox Show. Let's talk about the escalator. Oh no, let's save it for one more segment. I've been talking about it for months and I'm finally going to get it, to it today. A CEO from a company called Piedmont Lithium threw down a quote yesterday that I want to share with you. It's in response to the Biden administration aiming to slash the sale of gas powered vehicles to 50% of all new purchases by 2030. By the state of California saying that they want no, they want all electric or hybrid, hybrid with electric taking the car the first 50 miles, or maybe fuel cell energy tied towards hydrogen and other uh, cleaner gases than gasoline edmont Lithium, ticker symbol PLL, CEO said on Biden's 50%, he goes, yes, we will eventually have enough, but not by 2030. That tells me there's going to be strong demand. And that's where I start my research. I still do need to do a lot more, but that's how you should think. Where are there going to be supply-demand um, problems? What is fueling technology right now? Technology, I think, is an EV and solar. I don't think we need to get computers too much faster within reason. I know that's a dumb statement. I don't think we need to get watches and smartphones too much faster. The thing that drives those guys are silicon and lithium in phones. Where will we go with cars, which are much more expensive and require much more materials? Lithium should be a good investment. It should be. Consult a broker advisor before taking any action on any stocks mentioned.
0: I'm Rob Black